Welcome back. Welcome back, guys, to the Dream On Podcast. Guys, it's been way, way, way too long. But uh, regardless, we're excited to be back. And we're going to let you know, we're going to shake things up a little bit. In the past, we've done very... Uh, the, the podcast has been very centric around uh, interviewing industry people, uh, thought leaders, you know, people that are just pursuing God and, and inspiring you. And it's not like we're going to stop doing that, but we're going to we're going to shake it up a little bit and do a little bit more behind the scenes into Dream On and some of like our around the world travels, the good, the bad, the funny, the ugly, uh, some of our like, uh, you know, table you know, dinner conversations, et cetera, just things like that, that you would normally not, uh, get exposure to. So, uh, we hope you guys will like the new format. Um, so leave us a review. Let us know what you think. If you like it, you love it, you hate it somewhere in between. We want to know because we want to make sure we're delivering the best podcast, uh, experience to you guys. Today's episode, uh, it's, is awesome, but I want to first start by going back five years. Five years ago, we launched Dream On the Ministry with the very first ever Dream On conference. After doing the conference, it was very clear to us that uh, Dream On would be, would be not only successful, but the Lord's hand would be on it because we had such success at the conference and we were really excited uh, about doing Dream On moving forward. After about a five-year hiatus, though, we really felt like the Lord uh, wanted us to bring back the conference. So today's episode, we were going back to February of this year where Ashley Powell, my wife, and Dream On Speaker Collective Speaker gave the very first keynote of the conference. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. All right. Well, so good to see all of you today. We're so happy that you all took time out of your very busy schedules to be here with us today. So I'm just curious, how many of you have either attended a Dream On event before, or maybe you've been part of the ministry that we've done? Can you just raise your hand? I just want to see. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you didn't know, today's a very special day for the Dream On ministry. Today, we're celebrating five years that we've been doing ministry. It's amazing. So it was roughly five years, almost exactly, that we did our first event, a conference much like this. At the time, we were just kind of casting our nets out there, just hoping they would be filled. Nothing was really a guarantee. But I'd like to share with you briefly just some of the things that Dream On has done in the last five years. We might have a slide for that. Okay, it's all good. So in the last five years, we have ministered in three continents. We have built four churches, reached 40,000 people, and we have raised $250,000. So today, you guys are here to celebrate with us. Just not only what God has done in the last five years, but what we believe God's going to do in the years to come. And we're just really excited about that. But, you know, I remember thinking... Five years ago, Dream On was just kind of this idea, right? It was not really a real thing. It was just kind of this thought. And I remember thinking, you know, it could be cool. It sounds, you know, sure, it'd be great to go to other countries, great to do all that ministry. But 
I gotta be honest, it just sounded a little crazy at the time to me. At the time, I had just had um, my daughter. She was a few months old. I had a toddler boy running around like crazy. Hannah Swartz, I just had her first child as well. And so to start a ministry, but not only start one, but start one that required large amounts of money to do the things that we do seemed a little out there. I'm not going to lie. But eventually, thankfully, my attitude changed, okay? And I became just as passionate about Dream On. And it's really been incredible to see what God has done through one seemingly crazy idea, right? If you really think about it, though, a lot of the things that we use today in our life, it started off with a crazy idea. I'm sure the cell phones, those things that we carry around in our pockets, seemed insane to a generation that communicated by telegram. Or what about airplanes or cars or all those things? At one point in time, that was a crazy idea. Not only can those crazy ideas be successful, but they can be life-changing as well. I wonder if there's one or two or more people in here that has a crazy idea. What if we called it something different? You probably know what I'm going to say. What if we called it a dream? We are a ministry called Dream On, so we use that word a lot. But I hope when you hear the word dream, you hear the deeper meaning behind it. A dream is a cherished aspiration or idea. And when we apply God's word to the word dream, it becomes a fruit or a product of our identity in Christ. So here's what I want you to start to think about this morning. What if your daydreams actually had meaning? What if it wasn't just your mind wandering off? What if you found those things that you were kind of fantasizing about in your life and things that, you know, I wish I want to do this, I want to do this. What if that wasn't just a thought, a crazy thought? What if it was more? What if it was the Holy Spirit beginning to work inside of you and began to work in that seed inside of you to grow a vision for your life? I want to talk to you this morning about not only how to find a dream, but really how to keep it alive, because that's, that's the really hard part. The first thing we need to know, though, is how do we recognize that we even have a dream? Now, to some of you, that might be crazy, because maybe you're a big wide-eyed dreamer, you have plan upon plan and goal upon goal, but for others, that might be kind of hard. Maybe you're not sure if you have a dream and you kind of think it could be a dream and a vision and purpose for your life, but what does that even really mean? And maybe there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with that as well. I think sometimes, though, as Christians, we can kind of belittle that gentle leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're looking for those big burning bush moments in life, and those are amazing when they happen. But more often than not, God's just leading you through that gentle nudge, through that gift of wisdom and that gift of discernment. And that's really what he's using to direct your life most of the time. A prayer that I encourage you to pray is based out of Isaiah 55. It's where it talks about God's thoughts and ways are so much higher, deeper, and greater than ours. I encourage you to pray that over your life and say, God, just let my thoughts be your thoughts. Just start to illuminate my mind and my life. Let me think upon the things that you think of. Let my eyes see my life and my circumstances the way that you see them that I don't get lost in them. And I can just clearly follow that vision that you have for my life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know this verse, but it's important to not forget the meaning behind it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you to the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. If there's one thing that you hear me say this morning, I want it to be this. Every single person in here, every single man and woman who was ever created has a divine plan and purpose inside of them. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what you've done, where you've come from. Maybe you feel like you've made a mistake and you've gotten off course. It doesn't matter. That seed is still in you. The Playboy Mansion is full of people who have a divine plan and purpose inside of them. They just either haven't seen it yet or they have chosen not to follow it. When you come into relationship with Christ, you access heaven. And when you access heaven, you activate your spiritual DNA. That reveals identity. And then the identity you discover is birth to dreams. So what happens when God gives you a dream? Well, you stand out. When God gives you a dream, it's like he comes upon you and puts his thumbprint or his marking, his stamp of, of approval upon your forehead and says, This is what I have created you to do. I have already went before you. I have laid out the foundation and the plans. I have provision for it. It's like he is ordaining you for what he's asking you to dream about. He's asking, he's giving you that vision. And just like your physical fingerprint is unique to your physical identity, your spiritual DNA is unique to your identity in Christ. There's only one you. No one else in the world can do what God has created you to do. Isn't that exciting? You don't have to compare yourself to someone else. You don't have to say, my calling isn't as great as theirs. I'm not as talented as them. I don't maybe, you know, look the part. No one else can do what God has called you to do. And if you can't figure out what God's dream is for your life, just spend more time with him as cliche and basic as that sounds. We often forget the importance of those basics. Spend time in the prayer, spend time in work, spend time in worship. Or maybe you have a dream, but you're not doing much about it. You're poorly motivated. If that's you, then I encourage you to get around other dreamers. Get around the people who you view as go-getters. Let that iron sharpen iron a little bit. I want to take you into the Bible, and I want to talk about someone who had One of those big, crazy ideas. I mean, this guy, he was doing something a little just crazy. And I want to read to you Genesis 11 through 22. We're going to read about Noah. This is a little bit of scripture, so bear with me for a moment. It says, now God saw the earth. Now, Now God saw the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth, build a boat made from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. They construct decks and stalls throughout its interior, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around. Put a door on the side below three decks, both lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood and destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. Jumping down to verse 22. So Noah did exactly as God commanded him. 
So what was God asking Noah to do here? If you really hear it and you really think about it, it was a really big ask. I mean, he didn't leave it open-ended. He gave him instruction upon instruction and detail and measurement upon measurement. And God was asking him to build something so large that no one had ever seen it before. And it was going to take a lot of dedication. It was going to take a lot of hard work. And Noah probably didn't have time to binge watch his favorite show on Netflix. He had to be dedicated to what God was asking him to do. God was also asking Noah to go on a journey, a long journey. Does anyone else get motion sick? Because I do. I very much do. And all I can picture if I was in that ark is being very sick for 40 days, 40 nights with a bunch of stir-crazy kids and smelly animals. So that was a big ask. Noah was not asking, I'm sorry, God was not asking Noah to do something comfortable. I'm sure it was a little uncomfortable. God was also asking Noah to risk humiliation. Noah was making a bold statement by doing something that was never done before. You know what? I bet most people probably thought Noah was a fool until it actually started to rain. Here's something that we can learn from Noah is that dreams are not always magical. They're not always glamorous because there's nothing magical and glamorous about wiping out all of creation. Nothing glamorous about that. But yet for an appointed time, God activated that spiritual seed, that DNA inside Noah and said, this is the vision. This is what I have called you to do. And he did it. And he was obedient to it. Noah said yes to God's big ask. It didn't matter how hard it was, how much time and dedication. It didn't matter if it was socially acceptable or approved by his Facebook audience. Noah did it. Noah was obedient. I wonder if there's anyone in here today who maybe has a dream, but you think, it just seems too much. It seems too big. It's going to take too much out of me. It's going to take too much time. Well, my question is, what happens when it actually starts to rain and God needs your ark? But you haven't built it yet. The Bible says that Noah did exactly as God commanded him. Now, that really impresses me because I tend to picture myself in this position. So when I picture myself in Noah's position, I think initially I'm going to be excited. Like God asked me to do what? You know, he chose me. Okay, cool. I can do this. That feeling's going to go away very, very quickly. Because the first thing I'm probably going to do is go to Lowe's. Well, guess what, God? The wood you told me to get is an Alexa. So this is going to cost me a little bit more than it's on. And the, you know, now that I think about it, this is really going to take a lot of time. I mean, I have, I have these other things. I have these other things that you've asked me to do, these kids that you gave me, and it's just going to be too much. And you know what? I don't know what people are going to think about this. I mean, it's kind of weird. It seems a little out there. I really think I hurt God wrong. I really think something, something just isn't adding up. It's a good thing God didn't ask me to build the ark. But it's important to realize that we can be our own greatest stumbling block. And so we need to pay attention to both your strengths and your weaknesses. Just like when I put myself in Noah's position, I see my weaknesses come to light. And in a lot of ways, that's insecurity. But for you, maybe it's something different. Part of keeping the dream alive, though, is knowing where you might stumble, where you might fall. And so it's important to be honest with yourself about, you know what, what does my flesh crave? What is my weakness? Where might I trip over and fall and not make it to the finish line? 
Because when you're put up against the flame every single time, your flesh is going to want to react. And so we need to be honest with ourselves about those things. I want to look at one more example in the Bible. There's a guy, maybe you've heard of him. His name is Joseph. Joseph was the favored one. He especially caught the eye of his father who lavished him with love and favor. He even made this beautiful robe of many colors for him. And Joseph's brothers began to notice not only the favor that he was getting from his father, there was just something else kind of off about him. In Genesis 37, 3 through 8, I'm going to read it to you. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age. And he had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field and suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Do you actually think you're going to rule us? They hated him all the more because of the dream that he had. So God gave Joseph a dream, says, you're going to be a ruler, you know, you're going to be appointed. And he sees his brothers bowing down to him. Well, eventually Joseph's brothers just get really sick and tired of hearing about this dream and seeing him strut around in, a, strut around in that coat. Like, who does he really think he is? And so they begin to get filled with just jealousy and envy. But to Joseph, this was an exciting discovery. He had a dream. He had a vision. God showed him purpose. He, he built upon the identity and who he is in Christ. This was good news. And from everything that I read about Joseph, I personally think that he had the faith for it. I think he envisioned it. I think he felt it. And I think he believed it was possible. But Joseph was going to have some trouble actually keeping that dream alive. If you continue to read in this chapter, you'll see that one day tension just came to a head. The jealous brothers threw Joseph into a pit. Genesis 8, Genesis 37, 18 through 20 says this. But they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So really two things put Joseph in that pit. Favor and a dream. But wait, my mind's blown for a second because I thought dreams were supposed to be a good thing. I thought they brought about good things in your life and, you know, success and favor and opportunity and they make you happy and just nothing can go wrong. Did you ever feel like that? Did you ever feel like you were just walking the path God had for you and all of a sudden you got pushed over, you tripped and you fell inside a pit? If only that was all of Joseph's troubles. For time's sake, I won't read the whole story. But if you read, continue reading Genesis 37, 38, and 39, here's what transpires. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, where he eventually ends up serving Potiphar. Joseph catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, and she decides she'd actually like to be alone with Joseph. So she makes her desire known to him. Joseph, though, he was a man of integrity, and he had dreams, and he was striving for righteousness. So he turns her down. Thanks, but no thanks. 
The problem is this wasn't a woman who was going to be rejected so easily. So she sets him up. She makes it look like he is a victim. I'm sorry, she is the victim to his desire. So what did integrity get Joseph? It gets him thrown into prison. Guys, at this point, I can only imagine the thoughts that Joseph might be having or the feelings he might be tempted to feel. This was not the dream. This wasn't what you showed me. This isn't what you promised me. This is not how I thought my life was going to turn out. I mean, gotta be honest, if I was in that prison cell, I might be having a bit of a breakdown. I'm not gonna lie. Have you ever been so excited about a dream before? Maybe so excited about an opportunity, a vision, a moment with God, where you really just felt like, my God, you connected with the Holy Spirit, you touched heaven, and you had that passion, you had that fire inside of you. But all of a sudden, things start going wrong. It's trial after trial, disappointment after disappointment, heartache after heartache. That's a really, really difficult place to be. And then that dream, that cherished aspiration or idea that you had for your life that was birthed out of purpose, ordained by God, seems like something that is long gone, something that's never going to happen. So then what happens? Your identity starts to change. The way you see yourself, the way you think about yourself becomes damaged. And then suddenly you're wearing an identity based on your circumstances and not what God has said about you. Hannah, if you can't see, she's handcuffed, she's shackled, and she's wearing an identity that she really was never meant to wear. She's wearing an identity based on things that she's went through in her life and heartache and trials. And what I think we forget sometimes is that the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking who he might devour. He's quick and he's clever and you almost never see him coming, but I guarantee you he is coming because he wants your confidence. He wants your joy. He wants your peace. He wants your security, your comfort. He wants your dreams and he wants your soul. It's actually not that hard. For most of us, all he has to do is make us not believe in ourselves, that we can't, that we're not enough. So what's Hannah believing about herself? Well, she believes she's lost. She's been abused. She's broken. She's hurt. She's rejected. She's an outcast. She's abandoned, hopeless, defeated, and humiliated. Does it feel good to wear that? Does it feel good to live like that? And she's handcuffed. What can you do? Can you do anything? Oh, it's so fun. Your circumstances won't always look like the dream. But that doesn't mean that the dream is dead. Let's go back to Joseph. Joseph is now in prison. He didn't ask to be there. He didn't ask for these circumstances. But there he was, wearing the prisoner's coat. Something happened, though, while he was in prison. In Genesis 39, 21, it says that God granted Joseph favor in prison. And then in Genesis 40, we learn that Joseph starts to interpret dreams. That seed, that spiritual DNA that was deep inside him started to breathe life again. It was never gone. It was never, it never died. It wasn't lost and disappeared with his tarnished reputation when he was thrown into prison. He was, it was with him all along. A lot came at Joseph and tried to steal the dreams that God gave him. 
but he was never out of God's reach. God was there molding him and perfecting him through that difficulty so that at the appointed time, he would be ready to carry that mantle that he was meant to carry all along and wear the coat that he was meant to wear all along. But if Joseph was looking solely at his circumstances, his identity might look something like this. He would have been shackled to it and his future would have probably never have happened. But when you find yourself in that prison, God has a way of coming, giving you the keys. He uncuffs you from your circumstances, from the things the devil tried to use against you. God does a lot better than I do. <laughs> he takes it off of you. He takes that, the, the, these nasty things that the world tries to throw at you and tries to destroy you. And yeah, we don't want that. And he gives you a beautiful, a beautiful identity. that you were meant to be wearing all along. Does it feel better? It looks better. <laughs> so the devil wants to imprison your dream. He will always try to manipulate your circumstances and try to tell you that it's not possible. The dream you had was a lie, it was false, it wasn't for you, you were mistaken. And he will begin to create that doubt within you. And if he can't make you a physical prisoner, then he will make you a prisoner inside your own heart. And I get it, guys. It's hard. It's hard to resist that. It's hard not to fall into that pit. Listen, I've been in that pit many times. I've been handcuffed and shackled to my past, to my circumstances, to depression, to anxiety. And I get it. It's hard. There was a time when I was laying in the bottom of that pit and I said, you know what? I'm just done. And I gave out. I gave up. Tap out. Game over. I'm done. If the devil wants me that bad, he can just have me because I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I had given up on myself. I had given up on God. I had given up on my future. Those pits are nasty places to be and dreams die very quickly in there. But you know, God always leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. And so it didn't happen overnight, but God helped me climb out of that pit inch by inch, step by step. He put the tools in my hand and I was able to be restored. Restored in my spirit, restored in my mind, my joy, and my dreams. And I believe that's what God wants to do for so many of us. And maybe some of you here today. Fortunately, you can come back up if you'd like. So, most of us don't have trouble finding the dream. That's the reason most of the time. It's easy to daydream, right? It's easy to think and fantasize about what you want your life to be like and things you want to do. Get excited about the things that God reveals to you. But keeping the dream alive, that is where it gets really hard. It gets really challenging. Why? Well, because dreams are hard. They take a lot from us. They require a lot of effort time, dedication, faith, patience, right? doesn't happen in our timing, usually. Dreams don't always make us popular. Dreams don't keep us from facing hardship. And a dream given by God is worth anything to the devil to take it away from you. So now you're also a target. 
Dreams can very easily slip away from you if you're, if you're not careful. So the worship team is going to come out in a moment. And we're going to close out the session with a worship song. <clears throat> but here's what I want you guys to be able to think about. As I was talking this morning, I hope and I pray that there was something that came to the forefront of your mind. Whether it's a dream that you once had, a vision you once had for your life that you have not been striving for, you have not been diligent, you have not been doing your part, or maybe you fell into a pit and you're shackled to your circumstances, you're shackled to your emotions. Whatever it is, cause the dream to get lost. I hope that that dream came to the forefront of your mind. Or maybe it's something new. Maybe it's something new and exciting that God is revealing to you. So here's what we're going to do today. You should have all sat down in your seats and had a little index card with you. We are going to take that card and I'm going to give you instructions in just a moment. Habakkuk 2-2-3 says this. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and will not delay. So today, what I'm going to ask you to do is write the vision. Write it down, make it very plain, make it very clear, very easy to read. And run with it. Ask God how to run with it, to give you the faith, give you the tools in your hand to run and chase after the vision. But write it down, and I encourage you even to stick it somewhere where you can see it every day, and don't let that dream die. Don't let that vision die. And so to wrap up this session today, if you need a pen, please raise your hand, and we have some volunteers who will pass them out to you. We're going to just kind of soak in God's presence for a moment. We're going to have some time of personal reflection, and uh, we're going to write those visions. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to let the worship team play, okay? Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for what we're doing in our hearts, God. I just thank you, Father God, that you are so much greater than than we are, Lord. I thank you that your plan for our life is so much greater than our own. I thank you that we are never too far gone, too far out of your reach, God. And I thank you, Father God, for rewriting the dreams right now, rewriting the purpose, Lord, rewriting the vision, God. Let it stir up in our hearts, God. Give us a passion and a fire, Jesus. And Lord, we just rebuke the enemy from our circumstances, Lord. We rebuke the enemy, God, from anything that might hinder your vision coming to pass, God. We believe, God, that you have said it, Jesus, and it will be done, Lord. And as we write it down, Lord, as we write it down and we we run with it, Jesus, we just believe and have the faith for it, God, that it will come to pass. In your name we pray. Amen.